Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 8. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the other inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This is the word of the Lord. So you're very welcome anyway. Again, just want to welcome you and uh, thank you for coming. This is your first time especially. Uh, just great to have you. We're, we're, as I mentioned a few moments ago, we're midway through a three-part three mini part series on the subject of prayer. And uh, if you missed last week, um, I really would encourage you to go online and listen um, to, to the message because it really sort of set up the, the you know the, the basic building blocks for what we're going to be then building on to today. Um, and so last week we saw that prayer before it is anything else is an invitation, rather like worship, but it's an invitation from God to us to 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 come to Him. You know, we saw last week Jesus says, "Come, come to me, all who are thirsty, and I'll give you drink." You know, He's referring to the Holy Spirit, um, but but. It sort of underpins our, our, our understanding of prayer as well. It's not us coming like Oliver Twist, remember that? Uh, with our little bowl, uh, empty bowl saying to God, please sir, can I have some more? That's not, that's not how prayer is and that's not how God uh, sees us in prayer. Um, yet he says, come to me. He has arms open wide. There's an invitation. And we have to understand that first. Because um, otherwise we'll get all worried about our words and, and, and saying the right things in the right order. It's God who lovingly invites us and gives his son so, so that we can know him and, and speak to him and enjoy him. And that's really what prayer um, is all about. So today, we're going to be taking it a step further. Um, we went from invitation last week, and this week we're looking at approach. So the idea of approach. And what I mean by approach is what is our attitude or our, you know, our disposition when it comes to prayer? What's going on in our hearts? We've, we've heard about what goes on in God's heart last week. And so what, what is uh, going on in our hearts when we come to prayer. And so uh, what I want to do is um, talk about for a few minutes uh, five facets of our approach, okay? Five facets that make up our approach, you know, they're all five parts of the whole when it comes to our approach to God. And uh, rather like a diamond has many facets, uh, we have five facets when it comes to our approach to God. And uh, just in case you're new here and you're not familiar with the sort of preaching style, we usually take a one particular Bible passage here at Foundation Church and work through that and, you know, and just trying to understand what God is saying. Today it's slightly different, okay, there's a bit of a one-off, and because we're looking at the theme of prayer, I'm going to be using a few different Bible passages from around the place, um, and so, just so you know, that's not, not how we ordinarily do it, but um, what I'm going to be doing as well um, is reading them to you as we go. Okay, so you've had one read to you this morning, which is probably uh, the largest of them all, and then we'll work through as we go. Okay, and I'm also going to use this, so you get a rough idea of where we're going, okay? So five facets to our approach, and the first facet when it comes to our approach to God in prayer is boldness, and Marius just read to us from uh, Luke 11 um, on the sheet. 
and uh, the background to that particular text in, in, in Luke's gospel was Jesus' disciples came to him and they said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. You know, give us, give us the words to, to say to you. And, and, and so off the back of that, and Jesus gave them the form of words called the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and then he sort of carried on after that, after he gave them the form of words which they to pray. He said, now, this is how you to go about praying. This is how you to, you know, to approach prayer. Um, and then he told them this parable that we just read, uh, the parable that teaches us to approach God boldly in prayer. Okay? And it was based on this, uh, the ancient Near East culture uh, of hospitality. And what Jesus tells us is a, a story about a man uh, who has a visitor come to him in the middle of the night. And uh, with this ancient Near East sort of hospitality code, very, very strong, it would be absolutely unthinkable and shameful if you could not provide hospitality for your visitor, irrespective of the time of day it was. So you have to be hospitable. Otherwise, it would be great shame on you and your family within your community. You'll never get over it, no matter what time of the day or night it is. And so it seems to be that this visitor turned up unawares in the middle of the night, and the, uh, the host was caught short. Uh, it didn't have any food in the cupboard or anything to give to, to the, the visitor who we presume is a traveler, probably weary, tired and thirsty and wanting, um, you know, expecting something to eat and drink with his friend. And so it tells us in verse five that it was midnight. Um, and yet still the host decided it was unacceptable not to give uh, hospitality to his visitor. And so he went out of his house and went next door or somewhere down the road to his neighbor. And he said to his neighbor, you got to help me. You gotta help me. I've got this visitor who's come. I need some bread. I need some food. I need some of your supplies. I know you've got them. I saw you at the market today. Um, you know, just just give me something. I'll pay you back later. All that stuff. And the visit, the, sorry, the uh, the neighbour uh, sits down there in verse uh, seven. He's inside. He's locked up. He's half asleep, although he's starting to wake up. The kids are all asleep. He says to the to the the, um, the host, he says, "Don't don't bother me. My door's locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything." Go away. You're not getting a thing out of me. But yet Jesus in the story goes on to show that the man, the the the, the host, gets what he asks for. So why is that? Well, the scripture says it's not because he happened to be friends with his neighbor. That's not why the guy got out of bed in the middle of the night, pulled on his slippers and his dressing gown and sort of stomped on down to the cupboard and gave him what he want, wanted. That's not why the host got what he wanted from the neighbor. It says in verse 8, not because of friendship, but it's because of your shameless audacity. That's up there on the screen. Your shameless audacity. See, it seems to be that the man asking for the bread, etc., didn't really care for convention. He wasn't too worried about being polite. He didn't even care that it was in the middle of the night. It was dark. He wasn't worried about waking people up. He cared about something so much more that he was willing to put himself out, willing to be daring, even willing to appear rude so that he could get some bread and he could be hospitable to his visitor. And Jesus says in this story, that is how we are to approach God in prayer, with this boldness with this shameless audacity. We're not to get caught up in, in saying the right things and, and putting it in the right order or even coming to God in prayer and asking for something small and tiny and easy for him to do and then building up to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. We're, we're, we're not called to obey a certain convention or a certain style in prayer. No, Jesus says, like this man with shameless audacity, we are to come with boldness 
and we are to present our requests to God, we're to present our needs to him, no matter what time of the day or the night it is. That's the kind of approach we should have when it comes to prayer, right? I've been through this many times in my professional career um, as a doctor, um, you know, middle grade doctor, having to look after very sick patients in the middle of the night. And sometimes for a moment or two, the, <clears throat> the last thing you want to do, but yet the thing you have to do, you know you have to do, you've got to phone the boss. And it's three in the morning and there's trouble and you, you know you're out of your depth and you need some advice, so you need someone to come in and, you know, open them up and fix them and all that stuff. And yet, because it's a life and death situation, because we've got a patient who is not doing very well at all, it doesn't matter that it's in the middle of the night, it doesn't matter that he or she is going to be grumpy on the end of the phone and takes five minutes to wake up and actually hear what I'm saying. you just got to get on and make the ask. You've got to cut through all the politeness and the waffle and the faff. you just got to get there and make the request, because this is a life and death situation. And we see something like this in this parable too. You've got to be shameless, you've got to be bold, you've got to be audacious because of what you're asking for. Just to be clear, just to be clear, uh, God, for your information, is not the cranky neighbor in this story. He is not the cranky neighbor at midnight. He is not the grumpy consultant at three in the morning that you have to phone. The point that Jesus is getting at here is this is how we should approach prayer. And we know that because it's not on your, 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 your form, but later on, Jesus then says, I say to you, therefore, because we know who God is and what he's like, and you come to him boldly, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. God is your good father. He knows what you need, and he will give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So that's the kind of God that we're dealing with. And yet he says, come with your boldness, with your shameless audacity. He has a loving heart. He has open arms. He invites you to himself. He gives you the best gift of all, but yet come with your requests. Come with your boldness. So point one, for, you know, facet number one in our approach is boldness. I'm going to move quickly because there's five, all right? And there's more afterwards. Number two, the second facet then, uh, building a bit of a picture and the kind of prayer we should pray. Number two is devotion. This is a shorter one. Uh, we, we've just finished, um, for your information, we've finished uh, a long series through the book of Acts. We started in January. We finished there just a couple of weeks ago. And we saw right at the beginning in the book of Acts the, you know, the sort of the great narrative of the early church being filled with the Spirit of God back in the days after Jesus ascended. Right at the start, we saw this, didn't we? Uh, that after Jesus ascended, the, the disciples gathered together. They were told to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. What did they do? What was their instinct? Did they go back to work? Did they go out shopping? Did they go and chill? No, they did not. They got together and it said they prayed. Acts uh, 1.14 and Acts 2.42, for example. It says they devoted themselves together, praying. All the disciples of Jesus, they were devoted and then some days later, you know, when the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost, again, filled, filled the church with the Holy Spirit. And it said then, what do they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. Devoted themselves. This is another approach to prayer, the second facet. But do you note, these first believers in the early church devoted themselves. It's something that they did. It was an active thing that they took upon themselves, a commitment they made. The Greek word behind devotion is to be intently engaged in a task. That's how they saw prayer. No one had to ask them to come to the prayer meetings. No one had to sit through boring, dull prayer meetings where the same person prayed the same thing all the time. This seemed to be their natural approach. 
their natural inclination of their heart was to come together in devoted prayer. And it stands to reason, doesn't it, if we take the sort of the so-called spiritual side out for a moment, if you love a sports team, then of course you're going to go to the games, right? Or you're going to pay money to watch them on TV, or you're going to buy the jersey. You're going to support them. You're going to invest your time and your money because you're devoted to your team, whatever it happens to be. Likewise, if you are in love with someone, then of course you're going to be devoted to them. You're going to give your time, your money, your attention, everything to that person. If you have kids, you're going to be devoted to them. If you, if you, you know, if you love your work, you'll be devoted to it. And therefore, if you love God, you will be devoted to Him. You, you'll want to spend your time getting to know Him, leaning into His blessings, speaking to Him, listening to Him, enjoying Him. And I would go as far as saying right now, folks, that the depth of your devotion in prayer, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian, the depth of your devotion in prayer is a significant marker of your love for God. It's a, so our nat devotion is our natural response to something we love. Are you devoted? We've seen boldness. We've seen devotion. We're going to move on now to number three. Persistence. Persistence in prayer. Jesus again tells a parable in Luke 18. Uh, to explain to his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. And again, it's sort of told from the perspective of the one doing the asking, much like the man who goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night. It's another parable that's told from the perspective of the one doing the asking. And Jesus is saying, when you start praying, don't stop. Never quit. Keep on going. Keep on going till there's breakthrough. And the story Jesus tells is a, a certain judge in a certain city, who is an unjust judge. He didn't care about God, he didn't care about people, he just cared about himself. He's a, he's a horrible man. But there he was, judging and, you know, in, the, in the law system and all that. And it says one day, a, a widow goes to the judge, and, and she's in trouble. She's got an enemy. We don't know exactly what the situation was, but as one of the most vulnerable, defenseless people in society, as a widow, um, she had no one else to turn to. Uh, obviously, someone within our community was trying to rip her off, trying to take advantage. Happens all the time. Uh, we, we support International Justice Mission as a, as a church. It's one of the largest, or it's the largest anti-slavery movements um, of modern day times. And they deal, particularly in, in Kenya and Uganda, they deal with this phenomenon of land grabbing, uh, where people, sort of often distant relatives or, or people in the community, if a, if a widow is suddenly bereaved and becomes a widow, they will, they will basically grab their land without permission. Um, they'll take her property, and because she's voiceless, she has nowhere to turn. So um, thankfully, thank God for the ministry of IJM, International Justice Mission, a bunch of lawyers and social workers and, and uh, law enforcement. Um, they're able to get justice for widows who are in this situation. Uh, but they didn't have IJM back in the days of Jesus. Um, and so she goes, it says in, in the story, to this, this sort of uh, dodgy judge. And uh, he, you know, he's the only one who can give her what she needs, even though he's, 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 uh, he's rubbish. And it says that she kept coming, kept looking for justice, kept coming to the judge day after day, kept asking, persisting, give me justice, give me justice, come on, give me justice. He was her only hope. He was her last hope. And he had what she needed. And only he could provide what she needed. So she continued and continued and continued. She had nothing to lose. She had everything to gain. And eventually it says in, in Jesus' story that this, this corrupt and crooked judge, he relented, he granted her justice. In her case. And Jesus said at the end of the story, that is how you should be devoted to prayer. That's how you approach God in prayer. Persistence. 
And just remember again, God is not the unjust judge. Far from it. Jesus explains that later on in the story. But the focus is on this widow's persistence. Going, crying, calling out, give me what I need. And that, says Jesus, is why we persist in prayer. Because only God has what we need. Only God has what we truly want. Only he can provide what we cannot get for ourselves. Only he can open blind eyes. Only he can heal the sick. Only he can save us from our sins. Only he can cause the church to grow. Only he can send the spirits. Only he can look after our spiritual and ultimately our material needs. No one else can do this. So we always pray and never give up. Approach three. We're persistent. Number four. I want to touch on this very quickly. When it comes to prayer, our approach to prayer, we are to be faith-filled. Faith-filled. In Acts chapter 4, we saw this uh, many months ago. Uh, Peter and John, the, the two sort of uh, lead apostles, if you like, were, were released uh, from custody. They were uh, hauled in front of the great Jewish high council to give uh, testimony to why they're preaching in the name of Jesus. And this council sought to ban them from preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And so they, they went through that and God delivered them through that and they got released and set back out with these severe warnings never to preach the gospel again. And their first instinct, their first instinct following their release was to go straight to the church, straight to the body of believers. And it says when the church prayed, they lifted their voice together to God. They prayed these faith filled prayers. The church, it seems, was so captured by God, by his nearness, by his openness, by his power to advance the gospel, that they fell on their knees together with Peter and John and prayed these faith-filled prayers, these big prayers. And they're awesome. And, uh, you know, when you get home, you can take a look. It's Acts chapter 4. And we're going to pick up verse 29. And they, they pray to God, right? All of the community, can you just imagine? There's probably several hundred of them lifting their voices all together. It wasn't just one after another after another. It was all together shouting out uh, faithful prayers. They were saying, God, respond to the threats of the Jewish council. Listen to them. Stop them. But God, give us power. God, give us boldness to be zealous. God, help us to be faithful. God, work miracles. God, do healings. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. You can do it, Lord. Come on. Yes and amen. This is the kind of prayer that they were praying, these faith-filled prayers, asking for a massive breakthrough for the kingdom of God so that it may advance forward. They are asking for otherworldly power and ability so they can stare down opposition and represent Jesus until their dying day. Our prayers are to be faith-filled like we see in the early church. And by the way, faith-filled prayers are more than just prayers of the faithful, although that is important. This is more than a vain hope that God might do something. Faith-filled prayers are more than thinking that God might want to do this and might want to provide that. But faith-filled prayers are a certain subset of prayers, I believe, uh, where we pray with such deep certainty and deep conviction within us that we know that we can ask in the name of Jesus and receive that in the name of Jesus. We may not be able to pray like this all the time, but as we'll be seeing in a few moments' time, this is the awesome thing that happens when God's people get together to pray. Because nine times out of ten, there will be someone in that room who has faith-filled prayers to pray. And they pray those prayers. And that stirs the fires in our hearts. And we hear that, and it stirs our faith. And we jump on that, and we, 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 we join them in these faith-filled prayers. It is awesome.
Fifthly. Oh, sorry. Fifthly. Finally. The fifth facet is earnest prayers. It's interesting, actually, um, to observe or, or even study what the, what the church did in the book of Acts when they were in hardships, when they were in trials. Disasters were coming. What did they do? Because nine times out of ten, you will note that the first thing they do is turn to prayer. Um, in Acts chapter 12, uh, we see that James, uh, the apostle, was killed. Peter was put in prison. It was a, it was a bad day for the church, right? The two head guys were, 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 um, were, were going to get taken out. And so again, what do we see the church do? We see that they prayed. And in verse 5, after um, they're expecting the worst, Peter was put in prison and it says, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They were earnestly praying. Their prayers were earnest. The Greek word, ektenos, means intense, fervent, heartfelt. They were praying these prayers from the heart. They were, they were passionate prayers. They were, they were zealous prayers. There was emotion in their prayers. There, was, there were tears in their prayers. There was crying out to God. There was pleading before Him. This was earnest prayer. It requires all that you have of yourself. It zaps you of energy. Earnest prayers are where you pour out your heart to God. It's interesting as well when you look into it, that Luke only uses this word twice in all of his writings, in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. You know, he wrote both of them. He only uses this Greek word twice. He uses it here to describe the earnest passion of the early church in their prayers, but he uses it in Luke chapter 22. Very different scene. Luke chapter 22 takes place in a garden. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's only 24 chapters in Luke, so it gives you a rough idea where we're at in the story, Luke 22. Luke 22, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he is contemplating the cross. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that in a few moments' time, in a few hours, he will be bearing the sins of the world upon his shoulders. Your sin and my sin. And there he is in the Garden, and what's he doing? He's praying. He's literally about to go through hell to save us. And what does it say? What does Luke tell us? How does he use that word? It's Jesus, right? He, he withdraws from his disciples about stones throw. He knelt down and prayed. And he said to, to God, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And it says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Has there ever been a more earnest, zealous, intense prayer than this one right here in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, God heard the prayers of the early church in Acts chapter 12. Peter, therefore, was miraculously released. The gates swung open, and Peter went straight to find the believers. And when he found them, what were they doing? It says they were praying. They were gathered together, and they were praying. Just imagine prayer gatherings like that, this earnest prayer. I don't know what your experiences of going to prayer meetings may be, if you've been around church in a length of time. They're not always earnest and intense and zealous. We would love them to be like that. 
But this is far from dull and dreary, what we're seeing here. These persistent, bold, earnest prayers. They were not going to stop until Peter's body was either given back to them or he was released. That's how earnest they were. So we've seen then, I'll put them up on my screen, the five facets of our approach when it comes to prayer. Boldness. Our prayers are to be devoted. Our prayers are to be persistent. And our prayers are to be faith-filled and earnest. So I just want to touch on for a few moments to think now. What do we do if that is not us? As a church or as an individual believer in Jesus, what do you do if you, your prayer life does not look like this or anything near it? Where do you turn? Maybe, maybe you have tried in the past to pray a bit like this. Um, you, you've tried to be zealous and, and tried to be you know, earnest in your prayers, but for some reason or other, it, it just didn't work out for you. Your prayer wasn't answered the way you wanted it or in, with the timing that you had in mind, and so you eventually gave up. So what do we do if this is not us? Well, in our prayer, in our, in our theology, We've got to leave room. We've got to acknowledge first and foremost that in all of these things when it comes to prayer, God is, is sovereign, right? He's the king. And that humbles us when we get that. It humbles us. Because we understand and we have to understand that when it comes to prayer, God is king. He is sovereign. His ways are not our ways. He, he operates with all knowledge. He sees the beginning from the end, right? He's God. We don't. But we've got to keep that in mind when we come to him in prayer. Because we, you and I, only see a limited chunk of reality. We only see life from our own perspective. Um, sometimes we think we know what we need. And we might get it right. Sometimes we think we know what we need and we, we get it wrong. We actually don't need that. We don't get it. But our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. And he will give us what we need when it is perfectly right and good and glorifying for him to give it. If you're a parent, you will understand this incredibly well. You know, not every request for a snack should be granted because you know, not only may that cause some harm going forward, but also there's better things in store. Just wait. That's why I'm saying no just now. And if that's us as heavenly parents, then surely God, our Father, who knows everything and is completely perfect and powerful, surely he knows what we need when we need it. But... With all these theological things in place, these five facets still must form our approach when it comes to prayer. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he is all wise. Yes, he is all knowing, all powerful. But yes, he also calls us to prayer. We saw that last week. He, he invites us to come to him and he even gives us a sketch on how we do it. He says, come to me, be bold, be full of faith, be devoted to me. I love that and I want to bless you. Don't forget, even the most earnest prayer in history was not answered the way Jesus originally asked. He said, if it's your will, take this cup of suffering from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And then he went to the cross. This is what I'd like, God, Father. That's what Jesus said. This is what I would like, but... But ultimately, it's on you. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to be faithful to you no matter what that will cost me. And he went to the cross with that in mind. 
So what do we do if this is not us? What do we do? What do you do if you want to rediscover or discover for the first time this approach? You want to own it. You want your prayer life and our prayer life as a church to, to be characterized by these five things. What do you do? Three, three um, practical points. Number one, uh, what do you do? Repent and refresh. Repent and refresh. Repent is turning. Repent is realizing, hang on a minute, things are not good. Things as they stand are not okay. I'm not satisfied with, with the way it is. I don't like the way it is. I, I see that this isn't working out. I want more. So I'm going to turn back to Jesus. I'm going to turn to him. I'm going to be refreshed by him. I'm going to receive what he has given to me. Start there. Start by focusing on God and his invitation. We saw this last week. Start by 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 remembering that prayer begins with invitation. Take a good look at God. Behold Jesus. Listen, listen to him. Come to him for that living water. And you do that through through worship together or, or, or as individuals, through meditation on the scriptures. You do that through taking the, the sacrament. All these ways to refresh and repent and turn back and say, God, I want more of you. I want that to characterize my prayer life. That is the first step, okay, to getting that. Admit that you need it and ask for it. Second thing I would say, practically, if that's not you and you want it to be you, pray in community. Pray in community. So much of what we've been seeing in this quick uh, summary of all these verses applies not to the individual primarily, but applies to the body of believers called the church. Yes, you can pray alone, and we'll see that next week, some of the ways that we can really practically enjoy prayer uh, even more. But, and solitude is wonderful, don't get me wrong, I love solitude. But there is so much power when we gather together and pray as a church in community, because that is the place, more often than not, when sparks start to fly, when prayers set one another off. And as we were seeing earlier, where faithful prayers grow faith in other people, where prophetic words are given, where these glorious spirit-led tangents can suddenly appear and take us deeper into richer veins of, of God and his presence. That happens when we get together and pray. Repent and refresh. Pray in community. Thirdly, pray the Bible. We'll see a bit more of this next week. Literally, though, if you are struggling with words to pray and you don't know where to start and you feel all mealy-mouthed and all jumbled up, pray the Bible. Honestly, it works. If you find it difficult to get going, uh, no matter what method you're using to, to read God's Word, understand it, and go through it, if you're reading a psalm a day or a chapter a day or whatever you're doing, um, use that to help you to pray God's words after Him. Um, we'll, we'll maybe see a bit more next week. But say, say, um, say we're, we're reading together um, that great prayer that the apostles prayed or the, the disciples prayed in Acts chapter 4, right? That's a great place to start. It says this, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's how their prayer started. So start your prayer. Lord God, you are sovereign. You are king. You made everything. You made the earth and the sea and everything and they're wonderful. I thank you. I praise you. I love creation. Thank you for your creation. You know, you can carry on like that. And it gets to this place and says, Now, Lord, look upon the threats of our enemies and grant me boldness to speak your word. You, you can pray something like, Lord God, not everybody loves the fact that I'm a Christian. I find it difficult. There are people in work who are really getting at me. You know, there, there, is, there is trouble on Facebook. But would you grant me boldness to be faithful to you, to speak? Okay, there's a sermon in the sermon, right? But you can, you can use the scriptures like that just to allow those words to set the pace um, in your prayer life. Okay, repent and refresh, pray in community, pray the Bible. And more on this next week, okay? So that's just a little taster. 
Let's, let's wrap things up. Let's wrap things up. We've seen the five facets to our approach to God, and we've started to think about what to do if that's not us. What steps can we take? I just want to finish off now, come into land by thinking, what, where could this take us? If we actually inhabit these five facets, if that actually becomes true of us as a church, where could that take us? We have seen, haven't we, in the scriptures already, how important prayer was, how instrumental prayer was in the early church. How doors were literally unlocked through prayer, prison doors. How the gospel advanced through prayer. How people were healed through prayer. Lives were saved. And my point is, if we start to pray like them and like this, who knows where that will take us? In fact, I would go as far as saying that we've already begun that. It's not like we don't pray as a church. This church plant started off the back of prayer. It started off the back of prayer. And the reason why we're stood here just now, here in Asheville Girls High School, is because of the wisdom and direction we received through prayer and fasting that brought us to this place, to relaunch and to come here. And prayer has been answered in, in so many different ways, in concrete ways. Even when we hosted the Watoto Children's Choir back in March, uh, to even get them on a suitable day was an answer to prayer. Okay? When we started, there was no dates available. We said, Lord, if it's right for us, give us a weekend because we can't use this during the week. And they came back to us at Watoto and said, uh, we've just had a cancellation. It's a Friday. Do you want them? That's an answer to prayer. Um, even to get the extra hours we needed to come and set up, you know, uh, we, had, we, we got in at 2 o'clock or 2.30 in the afternoon just because um, the headmaster happened to be going past the office of the person who I was speaking to on the other end of the phone to grant us permission to come in early to set up. Stuff like that is awesome. Paul's job was an answer to prayer, right? You know, we, when we moved, um, it was going to be difficult for, you, for Paul to keep coming uh, because of his work hours and all that. And we were praying. We are saying, God, if this is right, if this is of you, then give him a new job. Come on, Lord. And long story short, you got it, didn't you? Yeah. About two weeks after we moved, you got a new job and started that. And that was awesome. Answer to prayer. We've been praying for musicians to come and help us. And we've got the entire summer booked up. We had Ian and Faith come and serve us and help us. We've been praying and God has answered our prayer. We were praying for a Foundation Kids coordinator. And Karen appeared and said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll take it on. We were praying for an additional family. And uh, one turned up. We were praying for connections with like-minded churches. And we've got them. We were praying that we'd be able to join a greater network of churches called Advance. And we are. Prayers were being answered and are being answered by God. And that's awesome. And yet... Prayers have been unanswered as well, and requests didn't come at the right time. That is true. Does that mean God was pushing us away? Absolutely not. Let's not forget as well that we've been praying for things further afield than ourselves. We've been praying for Glasgow Grace Church, a plant in Glasgow, and we prayed for them, and on their first opening Sunday, 80 people turned up. Lives were saved. We've been praying for Redeemer Church in Plymouth. Remember that? Five salvations that weekend, plus another three through the Alpha Group that week. These are our prayers, folks. And, and, and uh, you know, God chooses to answer what he wants, when he wants, in, in, the, in the way that he wants. We've been praying for churches in Belfast. We've seen fruit. We've been praying for churches across the UK and Ireland. We've been seeing specific answers to our prayers here at Foundation Church. So this has already begun. But my point to you and what I want to really finish on a challenge with this morning is let's take this further. Let's, let's, let's inhabit these five facets that we see because prayer is crucial to our mission and our vision as our church. Our vision is to plant or multiply gospel-centered, spirit-empowered communities on mission 
throughout Belfast and Northern Ireland, across the island of Ireland, and across the globe. Right? That's our mission. That's what we want to see happen. We can do that through planting and strengthening churches. Nothing particularly different there. A lot of churches will say they want to do that. And yet God has given us a unique part to play in this overall story of his redemptive plan for this country. And we are passionately committed to that. And I believe fully, and the scripture teaches us, that prayer is a major tool in our missional toolbox. And is a, a tool that we are underutilizing, I believe, as a church. It is a great weapon in our arsenal to take on the forces of darkness. And we've only just begun to use it. And I just... Uh, remember back to when Howard um, Kellett came over with us and Pete came over um, earlier in the year, a couple of guys from other churches in the UK from the Advanced Network. And Howard gave us this picture. He said, your, your church is, 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 like a, is like a fire in the hearth, you know, in your front room. All the elements are there. Everything needed to ignite. You've been working hard. You've been trying to get the flame. There's a few sparks, a bit of smoke rising. You just need to, you know, rearrange a few things. And eventually, that thing will catch fire, and it will give off a great heat and great light. And that was just at the time when we were thinking about moving here and changing, changing our, um, our location. And I would just want to echo that and say, look, as a church, I think, I, I sense that God has so much more for us. There is so much more in store for us than what we currently see and experience. God, in, in, I believe, in some ways, through his goodness and his graciousness is withholding blessing from us because we need to come to him and we need to ask him in these ways. Could it be, could it be that we need to listen to these scriptures and, and invest significant time and energy as a church to come in prayer, to be bold, to be devoted, to be full of faith, to be persistent and to be earnest, praying from the heart. Let's give it a go, folks. Let's just act like this stuff is true, like it really happened, that Jesus really did rise from the grave, and he really did send his spirit, and he really has given us the gift of prayer. And if we do, who knows what God might do among us and in our city.